if you are new to our fellowship, if you know that I've been on a, uh, a series of teaching about faith, you would think that in the kingdom of God, everything is certainly related to faith. But I've been trying to narrow it very closely to challenge, as I've made this statement many times from the pulpit over the last five weeks, six weeks, and that is I want to challenge unbelief in my own heart and life. Unbelief can disguise itself in a number of ways. It can often hide itself as tradition or religion. Um, it's a, a Feelings and emotions can somehow uh, excuse unbelief, but if you're really honest with yourself, you want to challenge it in your heart so that, that you can repent of it and that you can ask the Lord for that gracious gift, the gift of faith, that we might walk in faith and live by faith. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, we're going to read about four, five, six, seven, eight, nine verses of Scripture. Not a long reading, but from about seven different passages, six different passages. It's not going to take long. You, if you would, stand with me today in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're going to go here to Romans chapter number 10. This has been our key verse of Scripture that we have used each week. This is my sixth sermon in this series of messages, and I don't know when I'm going to stop. I'm going to stay the course until I feel released in my heart. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 8 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The word of faith which we preach. Now we'll turn to Romans chapter number 15. This has been a key verse of scripture here along the way. Verse number 4. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I love that. Matter of fact, I love that so much. I'm reading nine verses. Let's read this one one more time. For whatsoever things were written aforetime previously were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And I think it's reflected almost in almost the same exact wording in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, but very narrow in this text. He's, he's alluding to the children of Israel in the context of which I've been preaching. Now, all of these things happened unto them. So don't forget that because that's going to be made known to you again here shortly. Unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's powerful alone. I could, that's standalone type of text right there. Now we're going to go back to the Psalms for just a moment, and it's going to remind us of where we've been and where we're going to go. And I'm going to take the time, even though they put it on the screen, I'm going to read from a psalm here, Psalm 106, I believe it is, verse number 9. 106, verse number 9, says, He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. That's powerful, isn't it? And the waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. Then, they believe, then, then believed they his words, they sang his praise. Now, I will admit that I extracted this particular passage from the rest of the story. The rest of the story will come in later dates and times. But the psalmist felt like this event was uh, it necessitated repeating to his generation in song. He puts it in song. So now we turn to two last verses. One's in the New Covenant, Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 29. Looking back one more time. By faith, 
They passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. It's pretty obvious where we're going to be here today. Amen. I think you're starting to put this together in your heart and mind. In Exodus, for the last verse of Scripture that's going to give us, we're going to extract our title from this particular verse of Scripture. This is the narrative that we're going to be using. Exodus chapter number 13, our last verse, and then we're going to pray and ask the Lord for His gracious help here today. And actually, we don't even have to read the latter portion. We're just going to read the first phrase. And they took their journey. So I've been ministering to you about faith for the last several weeks. And today, I'd like to entitle today's message in that same context, but the journey of faith. It's the journey of faith. How many of you know we're on that journey? Our life may not even look exactly like what we're going to look at today, but I'm going to suppose that there's going to be some parallels that the Spirit of God can strengthen your faith because it was written for your learning, right? Your admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. It's a journey of faith. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us. I need His help to share the minister of the Word of God. How many of you know that if I need the Lord's help, then you need the Lord's help to receive the Word of God? So let us pray. Father, I humble myself in the midst of my church family, grateful for a privileged opportunity. Thankful, Father, that they have come with expectation in their heart to bring you worship, to bring fellowship one to another, encouragement to one another, and then also they have a ready heart and a ready mind to receive the Word of God. So, Father, I believe the hearts of the people are either previously prepared or even being prepared right now. And, Father, I'm going to pray honest, honest confession in the midst of the church family. I want to ask publicly what I ask for privately, Father, and that is that you would make me as the oracles of God today. That you would give me the tongue of the learned, that I might have a word in season for he that is weary today, God. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that preaching will come easy in this house today. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's children said, amen and amen. You can be seated. I've tried to be as transparent as I can in this context of ministering the word to you and share with you some of my own personal feelings, things that I have dealt with in my heart as I travel on my journey of faith. How that I intended to go to certain places in this teaching series, this preaching series, and, and I found myself kind of using the children of Israel as a backdrop, and I've kind of began to look at faith, but faith through the lens of Moses and also of the children of Israel. That phrase that Paul gives us in Romans 10 has been the foundation, it's been the bedrock of what we've been ministering. That is the word of faith which we preach. Faith in your heart and in your mouth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Moses on the backside of the Midian desert when a bush began to burn that was not consumed, he heard the word of God. And upon hearing the word of God, God convinced him of the authenticity of it and the instruction that was tied to it. And Moses then traveled from the land of Midian to Egypt where he then brought the word of faith to the people. And that cycle is repeated week in and week out all around the world where people of the people of God gather and a man of God or woman of God has hidden their heart and, 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 and pillowed their head in, in faith in Christ and, and have emerged from a closet of prayer 
with a word of faith, and they share that word of faith in hopes that the people will receive it and believe it and then act upon it. Right? It's just repeated. It's a cyclic over and over again. And in this journey, we've set our hearts to learn, to, to look, because there's things I just believe in the beauty and the power of Scripture. I just think, when my, I make it my goal as I minister the Word to you, is to take a passage of Scripture that is historical, and I believe it is historically accurate. And I believe that this narrative that I've been using could have been in the world history book of every college campus and, and high school campus across America, if they would, because it is historically accurate. It is a historical account. But I can't stir your faith just with an historical account. It has to be God-breathed has to have the life of God tied to it. And so that you can look back at it, and as you look back at it, yes, you're going to gain some things from the historical accuracy of it. You're going to gain some things as you look at the geographical setting in which it is placed. But beyond this, you're going to do, something's going to take place on the inside of you, a transformation as you hear it. Your faith is going to be stimulated. You're going to challenge unbelief in your heart. You're going to look at life through the lens of Scripture. You're going to find yourself. This is what I hope. This is the way I hope that you hear uh, as I preach. I hope that you could see yourself standing beside Moses at, at the burning bush. I hope that you could see yourself journeying back from Midian. I hope that you could see yourself in the crowd that day when Moses and Aaron preached the gospel to them. I hope that you could see yourself in Pharaoh's court or even in the field with the heavy weight of the taskmasters upon you and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're believing God for a supernatural deliverance. It's got to be more. It's got to be relevant to you. But that's the beauty of the Word of God. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God will quicken it and make it alive inside of you. When we began this journey, we went back to the beginning. We went back to Abraham, and then we quickly moved through Abraham, and we went to Moses and the children of Israel. And on the second week, I brought you into the need for faith, is that there is a, a, almost a twin sister, not an identical twin, but a paternal twin, and that is patience. It must be exhibited along with faith. Faith and patience inherits the promises of God. And from there, I brought you into the reality of is that based upon a profession of faith and a season of faith in your life, there's often immediate conflict. I started that message off with saying Moses spoke to the mountain. The mountain was Pharaoh. And he spoke the authoritative word of God. God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response was, I don't know God, and you're taking my time, and you're wasting the people's time. And he, and he, and he, and he added burdens to them. And I tell you what, that cycle is repeated over and over again. People have a word of faith and they're excited and they're often overwhelmed by the immediate pushback that the enemy makes upon their life. Are you out there? But then we, I brought you quickly on the fourth week to the revelation that the blood makes all the difference. I love the title of that, The Blood Makes the Difference. I don't know about you, it's the blood that made the difference in my life. The, it's the blood. The blood's made the difference. The blood's the, the blood's the only reason why I don't walk in guilt and condemnation. The, the blood's the only reason why I'm not under the wrath of God. The blood's the only reason why I can go to bed tonight knowing that if the Lord chose to take my life's breath during the night, that I have peace with God. Right? It's the blood that made the difference. From that time till now, still, the blood makes it. And that message was so stirring in my heart, I couldn't finish it in one week, and I brought it back to you on the fifth week, the blood, the power of the blood of Christ, as revealed to us 
in the blood of the Passover lamb. Because God told the children of Israel, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so now here we are, and here's how I'm going to do today's message. It's going to be a little bit different. I've prayed about this, tried to flesh this out, because I'm going to take you briefly through the narrative of three chapters quickly, and then come back to make my, my heavy spiritual points that I want you to see written on the tablet of your heart. All right? So let me take this story up, if I can, for just a moment of time. And it's found, here's where it's found, but it was so lengthy in the passages that I didn't want to attempt to read it. But it commences in the 13th chapter of the, in the 17th verse of the book of Exodus. And it ends in this narrative in the 21st verse of the 15th chapter. So it's a lot of uh, text of scripture. So the children of Israel have now endured the night of Passover by faith. And the Passover has protected the angel of the Lord, has passed over the houses of the children of Israel. And in the night, through the cry of the Egyptians, which they discovered that there was a dead firstborn in the home of every person, from Pharaoh all the way to the pauper. They rose up in the night and they literally thrust Israel away, fulfilling the prophetic promise that had been made to Moses and also to Abraham. And during the night, as they begin to march and to leave, Israel, uh, to, to, to leave the land of Goshen where they're at, they literally spoil the Egyptians because the Egyptians come out with gold and silver, their, uh, their, their ornaments and their jewels, and they cast it at the feet of the children of Israel as they're walking out. And the scripture tells us that they have spoiled the Egyptians. And as this, start, as this story begins to unfold, this journey, if you will, the children of Israel then find themselves being led supernaturally by Moses' insight and by a particular supernatural event that I'll touch on in just a moment. But the scripture tells us in the 17th verse, and I'm not going to bring all these verses up, that they did not go the, what was the most obvious course or route. They did not go slightly northeast when they left the land of Goshen and go along the Mediterranean Sea, what's along the, the land of the Philistines. The Bible says, though it was near. And he said he took them around lower south. They go south. And it's because God knew something that they didn't know, that when they saw the Philistines, which were a warfaring people, in their hearts, they would have immediately turned back to Egypt because they were not prepared for war. And so then that story unfolds with just a few little nuggets that I'm just going to drop in your heart here along the way. It says that as they were leaving, it says that the children of Israel, King James English, the 18th verse, went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. I'll talk about that in just a moment. And Moses, though, is bringing something with them. So you have the children of Israel. The children of Israel is comprised with all the biological sons of Abraham born of that lineage. But it also includes a mixed multitude, whatever that means, perhaps people of the land that have now have somehow moved over and believed in Yahweh, God, whatever the mixed multitude, whoever that is, and all their livestock. But there's also, and then also perhaps some of their goods. I know that there would have been tents and things of that nature for the journey. But there's also a particular box. Uh, it's a particular word that describes it. It's a, the, the Egyptians embalming processes, which are still uh, famous to this very day. They still dig in the sands of Egypt and find embalmed mummies that still have structure and, and texture, and, and it's not just returned to dust. They've got a particular box because it is a 400-year-old corpse, that of Joseph. For Joseph had straightly charged the children of Israel, when God brings you out, don't leave my bones here. Now, that's powerful. We're going to get to it in just a moment of time. And then it comes to that 20th verse uh, uh, that we took as our text. And they took 
their journey. And so this path is moving along as, they, as the children of Israel. But I want you to begin to see that along their journey here, that God begins to do something very special for them. And I'll tell you what, God is gracious. He provides for them as they're making this journey out of the land of Goshen, going south in the wilderness into, and I'm sure that it was perplexing to the people because they were literally going into a mountainous area being led to the edge of the Red Sea. It's a very particular place that God's going to bring them to. But as he leads them, he's leading them by something supernatural. There is a cloud by day that keeps that hot Middle Eastern sun off of them. And then there's fire at night that keeps them from the cold of the desert and the desert wilderness and gives them light. Supernatural grace of God given to the people. God takes them to a particular place because I'm telling you, God is very particular and he has a purpose for everything. Here's a note that I'm going to come back to in just a little while. It was always God's plan not to just pass over the children of Israel because that's a typology of forgiveness. It was always God's plan to deliver the people. And I'm telling you, there's a grave difference between being forgiven and delivered. Come on, somebody. And we'll get there in just a little while. But it seems as if, it seems as if it was a divine setup because as Pharaoh learns of the path, the trajectory of the path that the children of Israel have taken, rather than going slight northeast by way of the Philistines, they have turned and gone southeast, rather, in the wilderness that would lead them in along the Red Sea. He realizes in his heart and mind, he believes that they have made a tactical mistake. They're wandering in the wilderness. They don't have any idea where they're at. And they begin to realize, we, the Egyptian people, have made a mistake. We're going to have to gather our own straw. We're going to have to kiln our own bricks. We're going to have to build our own edifices. We're going to have to plant our own vineyards. We're going to have to do all the things that these Egyptian slaves, these Israelite slaves, have done for us for these last 400 years and not only have they, have, have, were they building our, our country for us while we took from them without giving them anything, but also their God is responsible for taking the life of our firstborn and hatred begins to, mount, to rise up in the heart of Pharaoh and the people and they learn about where the children of Israel are and they begin to gather their chariots and they launch out and following the children of Israel with a number of at least 600 chariots plus horsemen plus foot soldiers and they begin to follow. And I'm sure it was an easy trail to follow because there were approximately 600,000 men plus women plus children. Historians tell us it could have been as many as 2 million people that God was supernaturally leading to a particular place. So it would have been a pretty easy trail to follow. And there's a fateful moment that happens in about the mid-portion of the 14th chapter of the book of, of Exodus there where the children of Israel, up until this time, I'm sure they've been singing songs and celebrating, and there's a cloud going over them, and there, there is a fire at night and keeping them warm, and they're rejoicing, and they're thinking back about the blood and the Passover and the wrath and the ten signs that God poured out upon the people of Egypt. And then they look up, they hear the sound of something behind them, and, 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 they, and they look up and they see the cloud of chariots and, and horsemen on foot uh, that's coming after them, and they realize they are being pursued by an armed arm, army, by armed soldiers, and then they notice where they are at, that they're hedged in. 
On the left hand is a canyon wall. On the right hand is a canyon wall. And directly in front of them is the Red Sea. And Pharaoh and his army are behind. How many of you know God can bring you to some places? <laughs> oh, where well, you got no way out but to trust him. Come on, somebody. And so what we see, though, this, this could have been the stumbling block for all of Israel. But it wasn't. They stumbled later in very similar fashion. But, but in this, though, when they see this, rather than just simply locking down in faith and the, and the faith of God rising in their heart, tragically, tragically, we see, them unbelie- we see them speaking unbelief. They even cry to Moses, and they say, Moses, this is what we told you. We told you, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. When we were living in the land of Goshen, Moses, we told you. We are comfortable here. We're used to being slaves. Our children, that's all they've ever known is slaves. But no, you had to bring us this word of faith. He said, they said it would have been better for us to die, to, to die as a slave in Egypt than to die in this wilderness. So it's a tragic moment. But I thank God the sermon t- series has been about the word of faith. Moses still believes in the word of faith. And in the, in the face of unbelief, Moses opens his mouth and he says, you're not going to have to do anything. You just stand still and see. You're going to see the salvation of God. And then Moses goes to God in prayer. And it's the shortest prayer meeting on record. I'll talk about that in just a moment. And God tells Moses, he said, it's not the time to pray. He said, it's time for you to move. Tell the people to go. Tell them to go forward, not backward. Don't go back to Egypt. Let's go forward. And Moses then, through the instruction of the Lord, that feeble, meek man, I don't want to say feeble, but that meek man, Moses, the meekest of all men on the face of the earth, the Bible tells us, would stand on the edge of the great Red Sea with nothing but a rod in his hand and faith in his heart, obeying the word of God, and much to the amazement of 600,000 men as he stretched forth the rod over the waters, the supernatural breath of Almighty God, the wind of God, the Spirit of God that hovered over the earth in the genesis of time begins to flow through that canyon and come across that water as it did in the genesis, but this time it is so direct and so forceful that it begins literally to push the I don't know about you, but that takes a supernatural hand of God to push the waters. God didn't dry it up. God pushed it back like a curtain being pulled back. He pushes the water and they begin to heap up on the left-hand side, heap up on the right-hand side, and through the course of the night, the riverbed or the, or the, the, the seabed becomes dry enough for the children of Israel to be able to walk through the Red Sea. Now, it would still take faith. I don't know about you. If the man of God then says to me, take your journey, and I'm walking past a hundred-foot wall of water, and I'm seeing fish, and this is not like Bass Pro Shop where I can run and touch the glass of the aquarium, but supernaturally, God is holding it back by the word of his power. Come on, somebody. By the word of his power. It'll take faith. And the children of Israel, by faith, go into the Red Sea. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. We're going to find out what that relates to you and I here in just a few moments. And lastly, as the children of Israel, through the course of the evening and the day, get to the far other side. God had supernaturally done something. The Egyptians, which had gotten close, God took the cloud and moved it between Israel and Egypt, and it shut Egypt off in darkness, 
But the children of Israel had light to go into the water. But by the time the day begins to commence, the children of Israel have reached the far side when God lifts the cloud. Once again, not like pulling the curtains back, but this time like raising the curtain. And Pharaoh discovers that the Israelites are not within arm's length now, but they're all the way on the other side of the seabed. And Pharaoh and his army and their horsemen and their chariots charge into the seabed. But God would discomfit them. I love King James English, don't y'all? God began to discourage them, if you would. God begins to take off the wheels. The wheels begin to rattle. They begin to get stuck in the dirt. The dirt was dry enough for the people to walk across, but it was not dry enough for the, for the wheels of the chariots to, without, without bogging down. So they begin to be bogged down. And then there's panic that ensues amongst the Egyptians when they realize that the God of the Hebrews, the God that had judged them, those ten plagues upon Egypt, are, is now again fighting for the Hebrew people, and they know this is a losing cause, and they begin to flee. But at that moment of time, the God that had pronounced judgment upon Egypt lifts his hands and the waters of the Red Sea close back upon the Egyptians and the enemy is overthrown in the water come on somebody it's a powerful story I know there are people today that read that story and say that's all fiction that's nothing but fairy tales I don't know about you I believe it with all of my heart today I believe that God overthrew horse and rider in the Red Sea I remember someone that was responding to some of the negativity uh, that you see. No one really knows the path, the place, the locality of where that, uh, that actually took place, of the actual path of the children of Israel. Some have tried to say that it was along not the Red Sea, but the Reed Sea, because the water there is very low, and the children of Israel could have walked across in knee-deep water. And they told that to an old Pentecostal preacher, and when he heard it, he didn't get dismayed. He began to rejoice and jump up and down and shout. And they said, wait a minute. Wait, we're just trying to tell you that. You're they said, listen, God, if God... God did this because God, you're just telling me God drowned the entire Egyptian army in one foot of water. <laughs> it didn't matter. He was going to believe it any way that you tried to spin it for him. Come on, somebody. And lastly, the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus, the majority of that chapter is given to a beautiful narrative called the Song of Moses. And Moses, a psalmist here, receives a prophetic unction and begins to worship God on the other side of the sea. Come on, somebody. On the other side, for the children of Israel have now been delivered from Egypt. Come on. By the supernatural power of Almighty God and their enemies that have persecuted them for these 400 years have been overthrown in the Red Sea and they would see them no more. Glory to God. And it was such a powerful moment. Even Miriam, the sister, got in on it, grabbed her tambourine, and it was a Pentecostal worship service on the other side of the Red Sea as people began to celebrate the goodness of God. Hallelujah. What a powerful story. And if I was amongst the children in children's church uh, today, I could wrap it up, and they would say, Man, Pastor Brown, thank you for sharing that. And I would be as descriptive, but I just believe that contained in that narrative, that brief narrative, are some. How many of you know we need principles of faith in our heart and life? that we live by, that become a part of who we are, things that we need to know for this journey? Because every one of us are on a journey today. Every one of us are on a journey of faith, and we want to walk in the fullness of God's blessing. But the fullness of God's blessing does not mean that we're without trial. 
without difficult situations or when even God himself will bring us to very specific places to prove the validity of our faith. So I'm going to drop some bullet points in. We're going to go back and by way of memory to the narrative that I just shared with you. And I want to go back and I want to pick it up to when they first went and they didn't take the most obvious path. And I'm going to drop this point in your heart today about your journey of faith. And that is today. You just got to know in your heart of hearts, you have got to know that sometimes, sometimes God's path just doesn't make sense. <laughs> Y'all missed a great place to say amen. It just doesn't make sense. And, and you just got to learn that you can't follow God with your senses. <laughs> oh, I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting. I got to make room for my notes here for just a second of time. But I, I want you to know that when I, when I was seeing that and it said that the, God knew what they did not know. And that makes me think about my journey of faith. There have been many times that I thought that I should go this way or I thought I should go that way. But God knew and God could see what I couldn't see. And I'm telling you what, you have to learn to value a closed door equally as much as an open door, right? Because sometimes that closed door is God's way of saying, I'm protecting you from something that you aren't ready for right now. They would later be a warfaring people themselves. They would later engage the Philistines in conflict, but that day they were not ready for it. And so God brought them another way. Number two, though, there's something I want you to see in one of the verses of Scripture there that is often overlooked. In the King James English of the Bible, it says that the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt, the 18th verse of the 13th chapter. That actual word in the original language means in array. And some even interpret it based upon its way that it's, it's translated other ways that it was in battle or armed away. Or armed array. Now, I'm going to suppose that the children of Israel, as they left Egypt, were unarmed. Because at that particular time, they probably had not had opportunity to forge weapons of their own. And the Egyptians would not have allowed them to have them anyhow. But it mattered not. God would bring the children of Israel out, not in a free-for-all, pan, pan, you know, pan, what is it? Pandemonium. God would not do that because that's not how God works. Right, so here's my point number two, is this real quickly, is that you have got to have some order and some discipline in your life because faith is not a free-for-all, you need order. The children of Israel did not just scatter and they didn't flee. They walked armed in arms, shoulder to shoulder, because God had overwhelmed and overthrown the children of Israel by the power of the blood, at least initially, and they were to, be, they were to leave side by side, in order, in battle array. Now, as I began to meditate that, I began to think about our own journey of faith. And the journey of faith demands order in your life. If you're seeking to, to, to grow in faith and you're seeking to be who God's called, called you to be. Listen, it's not going to just happen haphazardly. You've got to put yourself in certain environments. You've got to be diligent for faith to grow. You've got to feed it and water it. You've got to nurture it. Add to your faith virtue and add to virtue knowledge. You've got to get up every day with God on your mind. You've got to go to bed at night with God on your mind. You've got to walk by faith and live by faith and journey in faith. It's not a free-for-all. You need discipline. You got to put, come on somebody, it's wax on and it's wax off. It's pray loud, lift hands up, open your mouth, shout into God with the voice of triumph. It's discipline and order in your life. It's saying no to some things and saying yes to other things. There's order in the kingdom of God. Number three today, I love this one. I'm preaching myself happy up here today. <laughs> 
Oh, Jesus. But I want you to see yourself. I want, it, I want you to see. I want these to be a part of who you are. But I want to go back to that, almost that ossuary, that, that, that coffin, or it's the same actual Hebrew word translated ark. It's a box that Joseph's body is entombed in. And Moses said, we're going out. We're bringing our wives, our children. We're bringing our livestock. And we're bringing that box. Because let me tell you what that box represented. It represented their spiritual heritage. I said, don't forget your spiritual heritage. Don't forget. Joseph was the link. He was the link. He was the link for the children of Israel 430 years later back to the original covenant promises. He was the link to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and lastly, Jacob. It was Jacob that had sojourned into the land of Egypt because Joseph had been sent before supernaturally, providentially by the hand of God. And that was the link. And why am I telling you this today? I don't want you to forget that you are a part of a Pentecostal charismatic fellowship of a word of faith of men and women that believe in the power of Almighty. God, that no matter what you're going through, the crisis of life that you might face, I want you to know, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and trust the Lord. That's who you are. That's your spiritual heritage. Believe the Lord. Welcome the power of the Holy Spirit because you're going to need it on this spiritual journey that you and I find ourselves on. I want you to know today I'm still unashamed, unashamed to be spirit-filled. That's my heritage, and I'm going to celebrate it till he comes. So the children of Israel take their journey. And along the way, though, I mentioned briefly, and these are just bullet points. This is a change of style of preaching for me for this particular series. But I felt like there were so many that I needed to narrow them quickly, drop them in your heart. It's nothing but a nugget of faith. You can write it down, jot it down. If you don't have pen and paper, you can go back, listen to it, and then it will give you an opportunity to meditate upon it. But remember what I said as they commenced their journey that God did something supernatural for them. The cloud by day and the fire by night. Here's something for you in your journey of faith. And that is God, God is a constant present. He's a constant presence. He's here. He's always there. Come on, he's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. And you have to learn to look for God. And to say, I'm going to find him in even the little things. It's, it's, it's just in the little things. Sometimes it's in the simple act of kindness that somebody else might display to you. That you say, well, I just wonder if God knows where, where I'm at. When somebody comes up to tell you, I love you, brother or sister, and ministers to you, then that's God's way of saying, I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. Right? God is a constant presence in the life of his people. Right? And you've got to celebrate that. You've got to celebrate him in the little things. That's why Jesus said, your heavenly father loves you so much he makes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust and your heavenly father loves you so much that he makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust he he's a constant presence As a matter of fact the writer of the book of acts luke records these words the apostle paul preaching he's speaking to gentiles and speaking about people that didn't even necessarily believe in yahweh god he said nevertheless god left not himself without witness and that he did good he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness I've learned in my life, in my journey of faith, I have to find God in almost everything to search for and say that, that I have nothing good in my life if it didn't come from God, right? All good things comes from the Father of lights with whom there's neither variableness, neither shadow of turning. He's good all the time, and he's a constant presence in your life. So in this journey here, as I, going back to that narrative that I took you on, 
there was a little bit of a shift between that 13th chapter and the 14th chapter because it was, seemed like, again, it was a very strategic moment that God was taking the children of Israel on this journey that was taking them not through the quickest route, which we learned really a moment ago why, but he's taking them on a rather longer, more treacherous route, and he's hedging them in to a particular place. And I'm just going to drop this nugget in your heart because I'm going to come back to this in just a moment before I finish. But I want you to just, I just want to remind you this, God's plan has never just been for forgiveness. God's plan has always been to deliver you. To deliver you. Come on, somebody. To deliver you from the old you. To deliver you from the devil. To deliver you from the lust of your flesh. Sinful habits. Come on. Come on, the lifestyle. Generational curses. All those things. Whatever you want to call them. Whatever you want to label it. Born on the wrong side of the church. God wants to deliver you from all that. That's why God wants you to be, and you will be through Christ. You'll be a new creature in Christ Jesus. The children of Israel, a nation was born in a day. We still call them the children of Israel. They weren't perceived as a nation. They weren't a nation. They were just simply, they were slaves in Egypt called the sons of Abraham. But in a moment's time, in a day, a nation was born. And God does not only just forgive you, but he delivers you. So don't forget that. That's his plan all along. And I love this one, though. I told you that when those armies of Egypt began to follow and the children of Israel, under the cloak of the cloud or the warmth of the fire at night, noticed a cloud coming from behind them, and they discerned that it was Pharaoh and his armies, they almost stumbled in unbelief. As a matter of fact, if you will, if it wasn't for God's sovereign grace, we could say that they did stumble in unbelief. Because in that moment of time, they spoke what they believed. And they believed that they should have never left Egypt. They'd rather have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So here's what I want to, this is along your journey. And I, if, if you don't hear anything at all, hear this one from me today. You need to guard your heart and guard your mouth. Guard your heart and guard your mouth. Because faith needs a vehicle. But so does unbelief. And typically, unbelief will travel through your words. Come on, somebody. And before we end this series, I will, I, will, I will spend an entire sermon, or maybe more than one, on the power of words. Can I talk to you about it just briefly, real quickly? How many of you know the Scripture says that life and death, life and death, blessing and cursing, is in the power of your tongue? Scripture, I heard someone quote it, says, choose the life. You have to choose your words. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. Choose your words because the word of faith is where? It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. And if you don't have the old adage, if you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. If faith is still being wrestled out inside of your heart, then you mute what's going on inside of you until you are ready to open your mouth in quiet confidence that what God promised he would perform, glory to God. So along your journey, if you don't remember anything about Pastor Brown's ramblings on a day when he's giving you, he's going to give you 10 quick bullet points, the sixth one, write it on the tablet of your heart, guard your heart and guard your mouth. Ooh, that's good preaching for a young guy like myself. That's by faith, that's by faith. I'm calling things that be not as though they were. Ah, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to share this one real quickly, though, because I love this one. This is number seven for me. So when the children of Israel then spoke that, Moses immediately 
combats the unbelief by the word of faith. And that's a part of this journey, intercession, and sometimes somebody speaking unbelief and somebody else speaks faith. Jesus did that in all of his ministry, right? Remember the story of Jairus and his daughter, and they came to Jairus and said, Jairus, your daughter is dead, trouble not the master. Jesus stopped Jairus right then, and he said, Jairus, fear not, believe only, and your daughter shall be made whole. So in the face of unbelief, Jesus, with the word of faith, spoke the word of faith. And so Moses hears what the people have said, but Moses had also heard what God said. And when God, because that was so change, changing in his life, it had so uh, altered his life, that Mo, when he was at the Midian Desert and the bush burned and he heard the voice of Almighty God, in the face of unbelief, he could lift his voice up and say, No, I believe God, that God is faithful. What he's promised, he will perform. Right? And so, but what the narrative goes over very quickly is, it then it shows Moses speaking to Israel, but it really doesn't go into detail about Moses crying to God. But in that moment of time, Moses hears something from God that he probably wasn't expecting. And that is, Moses, it's not time to pray. It's time to move. Are you out there, church family? Sometimes it's not time to pray about something. Sometimes it's time to just simply stand up for what you believe. Act on what you know. If God said do it, it's time to do it. Matter of fact, it can become unbelief if you keep coming back to God in prayer about the thing that God's already promised you. And so it's going to take courage at that moment of time. And it was a moment of courage for the children of Israel when they went into the Red Sea. It was faith. It was a moment for them to act. And I just felt like there was somebody, and I might only be preaching to one person here under the sound of my voice today, but God's given you something, a word of faith, and you've been wrestling with it and wrestling with it and wrestling with it, and you've been praying about it and praying about it. And maybe the Lord's bringing you at the place where he's saying, it's not the time to pray about it. You've already prayed about it. You've got the confirmation of the witness of the Spirit in your heart now's the time to begin to act on what you believe it's not time to pray it's time to move and number eight today quickly bullet points today dropped in your heart hopefully being written on the tablet of your heart is this passage here this narrative from that moment forward is so powerful that people are still singing and telling the story thousands of years later that the author here if it's Moses, as we believe it is, is descriptive of this event that he writes it down and encourages the children of Israel to pass it to their children. And the psalmist later is looking back and he's moved by it. He's writing about it. Nehemiah writes about it. And it's written in the book of uh, Hebrews. It's so impactful to the people of God that in a moment... When the children of Israel found themselves on the edge of the Red Sea without the capacity to go to where God was calling them to go, with a wall on the right hand and a wall on the left hand, and an army that wants to slaughter every one of them down to every woman and child and their livestock is coming behind them. At that moment when all hope in the natural was lost, God supernaturally breathes out of his own nostrils a blast of his wind, of his breath, and the waters are pushed back, 
and the children of Israel go forward on dry ground. Now, why is that written? That's written so that in every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue, wherever this gospel is preached, you will know that with God all things are possible. You will never live a moment of your life in a hopeless situation. You will always have hope. If I remember correctly, the writer Paul said these things are written so that by we reading the scriptures, we might have hope and take comfort in the word of God. And I don't know about you, but I want you to know today with God, all things are possible. You get a negative report from the doctor, God, all things are possible. You're going through a trying time in your life with God, all things are possible. Your children are way out there in the far country. Let me tell you, God can bring them like he did the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. He can bring your children from the darkest place because with God, all things are possible. That's why it's written so that you know that it's the supernatural hand of God. I thank God for a supernatural hand. And I love what Moses told the children of Israel. The Lord told Moses, he said, Moses, the children of Israel are going to have to do nothing. There was not a thing that they could do to part those waters. There are times in your life there's nothing you can do. I believe in doing what you can do. Don't you? That's kind of the way I live my life. I want to do what I can do, but I also know that I have limitations. But I serve a God Come on, that's not limited in any capacity. If God is restrained any at all, he would be restrained only by my faith or my unbelief. With God, all things are possible. Oh, I feel Jesus on that. It'd be a good time to take an offering right there. <laughs> that's funny right there. And I got two to close on real quickly today. The last two, to drop in your heart, because it's a special day, water baptism. Did you know the children of Israel were baptized? When those waters crashed down, in essence, they were baptized. Are y'all out there today? Because they were cut off. They were cut off. So this is where I have to be very careful because I could deviate and detour a little bit too far, but I believe in typology, and there's different types in Scripture. Typology is things that are written in the Word of God, especially in the Old Covenant, are a type of a spiritual truth or principle. And we can see that in natural examples. And then typically when you have water, when you have water, it is often a type of the Holy Spirit, right? Because it's tied almost to that Genesis 1 account that when the Scripture says in Genesis 1 that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And so when the children of Israel, the waters of the Red Sea closed behind them, something marvelous happened. The enemy was cut off. I want to go back to that fifth one when I said it was always God's intention. I want you to hear this today because I'm closing this sermon today. And it's been a very pastoral sermon. I make no apologies for, you, for it. I believe it will really be something you can think and meditate. You'll go back and read the 13th and the 14th and the 15th chapter on your own. And you'll see, you'll envision yourself standing there with the children of Israel, with the walls of the Red Sea closing, them, closing in on you and, the, and Pharaoh's army coming behind and God showing himself as Almighty God. But when those waters crashed in upon the, the, the Egyptians, the children of Israel were cut off. They were cut off from their past. They were cut off from slavery. They would never be slaves again. Right? Are you hearing me today? Right? They wouldn't be subjective to the taskmasters any longer. The taskmaster could scream with all his might from across the Red Sea, and it would not even be heard by the ears of the children of Israel as they began to continue on their journey. 
The point of this is all along is it's never been God's intention just to forgive you of your sin. The intent of God has always been to deliver you completely by the power of His Holy Spirit. Right? As far as I recognize in Scripture, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And that supernatural power that dwells inside me gives me the power to cut off sin in my life. Egypt typically represents sin in Scripture. Typically, not always. Bondage. Whatever it is for you, you got to make that work for you. The point I'm making as I am closing my sermon today is this. That in your journey of faith, know this. That it's not enough, it's not God's will for you to just soak your eyes and soak the wood of the altar in, in repentance time and time again only to go back and live in the bondage that you are confessing and repenting of. It's cyclic, it's over and over again. God intends to deliver you from that bondage, to make an entirely new you, totally delivered by the power of Almighty God, almost unrecognizable to the natural eye, where people say, I knew him in those days, but I don't even know. He don't act like, talk like, think like. His whole person is changed. That's the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the indwelling power of the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit of God will deliver you from you. Hallelujah. And lastly today, on a day when they're going to begin to go get children and we're going to have water baptism, this account was so impactful to the children of Israel, it seems almost as if it was an impromptu supernatural revelation where a song bubbles up in the heart of Moses. And he begins to sing a song, declaring the wonders of God. Horse and rider has he's thrown in the sea. God's brought us out that he might bring us in. The people of ancient Israel began to sing with them. The prophetess Miriam, as I mentioned earlier, grabs the tambourine and they begin to sing and they begin to worship and they begin to rejoice in the presence of Almighty God. Where is the presence of Almighty God? On the far bank <laughs> of the Red Sea with the corpses of the Egyptians beginning to float to the surface. But for the children of Israel, that was a holy moment. Death was behind them. Life was in front of them. Come on, somebody. And God gave them a song to sing. So lastly today, God will give you a song to sing. And that song that you sing will give testimony to God's greatness. That's why we sing. Come on, somebody. That's why we sing. We sing, we sing to declare the wonders of God. We sing a song today. Just like the many songs that we sing each and every week. We want the world to know that we've been delivered by the supernatural power of Almighty God. In a world of despair, in a world of uncertainty, we have a hope. In a world where there is so much, especially in America, where there's a world of, of, of contention between people groups and sin abounds and the heart of many is, is be waxing cold, the King James English says. You and I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we walk about on our jobs. You go to your factory. You go to the school campus. You go to your farm. And you got a song in your heart. And as you sing it, you are reminding the world of the goodness and the greatness of the God that you serve. It is the word of faith in song in that moment of time. I'm going to ask Brother Dale to join me on the platform. It's good to be in the Lord's house today as we close. So here it is for you today about this this, this means of faith. 
Let me say this in closing. I shared with you about patience, conflict, the blood. Today I wanted to remind you, it's a journey. This is a journey. We're on a journey of faith. I don't know about you, but I want a journey well. Come on, somebody. I want a journey well. I want to walk with the recognition that God's going in front of me and God's coming behind me. I want to guard my heart and my mouth. I want to say things that please Him. And I want to, every day I want to get up and I want to be cut off from the past. Come on, somebody. I want to be cut off from that past. I don't want to be remembered as an Egyptian slave any longer. Right? I want to be remembered as a redeemed child of Almighty God, set free by the power of His blood, delivered from the bondage of sin by the power of His Spirit. Come on, somebody. And my path is being directed to the service of God. So I hope and pray that somehow by the work of grace in our heart and life that you can somehow see yourself in this journey of faith. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Grow in the grace of God. Seek the Lord diligently. Get up and become more disciplined in your life. Come on, somebody. I, I do love that one. I, I probably didn't minister it adequately enough, but if, if you really, I want you to see that, if you can, in the theater of your mind. Moses, often, often forgotten, was Moses was a military leader previously. Military people typically have certain orders with them. You've heard me talk about folding underwear in six-inch squares. I no longer do that. Sherry folds my underwear in six-inch squares now. <laughs> I've waited all day to say that. <laughs> Certain disciplines often stay with military members the rest of their life. If I wear a, a button-up shirt and a, and a belt, I will have my gig line in a line because it was imprinted in my mind and some of these other men. I still will to this very day. So Moses would have had principles of discipline that had been instilled in him when he was in a, leading an Egyptian army before he goes to the Midian Desert. So when you see the children of Israel coming out arm-in-armed, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't panic. God had delivered them. They were marching out victorious by the power of Almighty God with order and discipline in their lives. And I just think that's how our journey. Come on, somebody. That's how we can live life for the glory of God. Our purpose in front of us, seeking the Lord. So today on a very special day in which we're going to give honor to God, by we give witness to these children and youth being water baptized, I'm going to let our heads be bowed and our eyes closed for just a minute at a time. And I'm going to give a two-fold invitation. It's been very, very pastoral today. It's 1130. We're way ahead of our normal schedule. We've altered things a little bit for the sake of the water baptism here today. And if parents need to go ahead and begin to get children and youth, they can do that right now. But I'm going to give a two-fold invitation. A two-fold invitation. Number one, if you're here today... And you say, Pastor Brown, as you were preaching this gospel today, and though you weren't preaching directly about Jesus' death on the cross and his, and, and, and his burial and resurrection, but something's happening in me as I hear you preach, and I'm becoming acutely aware of my own sin. And for whatever reason, I just feel led of the Lord. And I'm speaking for maybe somebody here today. I want to know this Christ, this Christ that you've referenced you've spoken of through your sermon Christ Christ I would pray with you today 
Christ. If there's anybody among us today that has never, these children, the children and the youth that are going to be baptized today are making a profession of faith in Christ. What about you? Will you make a profession of faith in Christ? Will you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus? If you will, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. That will be the beginning of your journey. It won't be the end. That'll be the beginning of your journey. If that's you and you say, Pastor Brown, would you pray for me? And slip your hand up right where you're at. I'll pray with you here in just a moment of time. I'll pray. I need to look around. Nobody's looking around. I'm just waiting in the Lord's presence today. Just waiting. Number two today. Number two, in a collective moment of faith, I want to just simply see if there's anybody here today and says, Pastor, just before we do the water baptism, in a collective moment of agreement, I just want to lift my hand in private before I join faith with others and just say, Pastor, would you pray for me on my journey of faith? I'm kind of, it's a tough place. Maybe you find yourself hedged in in the Red Sea. Maybe you find yourself with a wall to your left or to your right and you don't have an answer for tomorrow. And, you just, and you're just caught in a tough moment. And, and, and your faith is kind of fluttering in your heart. And you need to just be strengthened by the power of God. If that's you, let me see your hand today. Let me see it real quickly. Some hands have already gone. I have several hands around this church family. I want to ask everybody to stand up today if you would. Everybody to stand up. Now, I want you to, if you can, you don't have to take somebody by the hand like we used to do. And I, I, we did, used to do that a lot. And then some people say well, a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. And I said, well, I guess so. But you're going to go home. Some men are going to go home and watch football games. And after er, in the middle of every huddle, grown men are standing in the field holding hands with each other. So you probably never thought that before. And, but nonetheless, so, so holding somebody's hand is not that important, but maybe connecting beside somebody because we're going we're gonna to go out in, in our journey of faith and we're going to go out harnessed. I love that. I'm connected. So lean over beside somebody. It might be your spouse or your friend. And if you want to take somebody that, by the hand, go ahead. But don't let anybody be by themselves. Everybody needs to be harnessed together. And let's take a moment of time. So I'm going to wait on you. So make sure you're harnessing together. That's what we need. Harness together. Harness together in orderly fashion. We're trusting God on one another's behalf. And we're going to pray. I'm going to pray, but you're going to pray. You're going to pray one for the other to help each other on this journey. A journey of faith. Because I'm telling you, you need each other on this journey. So let's pray together. Father, I love you. And I feel so emboldened in my spirit for this moment. Father, I could call the people that raised their hand, the 15 or 20 people, and I could pour oil on their head, and I could lay hands on them, and that'd all be good. But Father, I believe it's even more meaningful when the men and women yoke together. Brother to brother, sister to sister, some of which they may know each other well enough to say, Brother, I know what you're going through right now. I know the, the wilderness journey that you're on, and I know the despair that you've been going through, but I'm praying for you. God's going to keep you. Come on, somebody, let's pray. God's going to keep you. God's going to preserve you. God's going to be a wall of fire at night, and he's going to be a cloud during the day. You're going to see his hand. You're going to see his grace. Lord, I pray over those that lifted their hands. I said, Pastor Brown, I'm just in a tough season in my life. God, I pray that they're going to begin to see you and your handiwork at work in their lives on this journey of faith. Father, I believe it's not because you hadn't been doing it. Their eyes just haven't been open to see it. 
Open their eyes to see it, God. Let them see what you're doing. Let them see you going in front and coming behind. Let them see, Father God, in Jesus' name, of your supernatural grace that you're leaving for them, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Father, for the men and the women that find themselves at that precarious moment in that place where they're literally shut in, just shut in. They feel surrounded. What seems in front of them seems an almost insurmountable obstacle. God, today I'm going to pray that because of this sermon, they're reminded that with God all things are possible. Come on, somebody. We're going to pray that for one another right now, God. As I get ready to close, my part of preaching and praying. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, God, we pray one for another, God. I pray that my brother and sister's faith will not fail. I pray, Father, that they will always remember that you are the God that parted the Red Sea. That you overwhelmed Pharaoh, the enemies of the, of the Israelites, in the waters. And the Bible says the enemy pursued them no more. God, I'm going to believe for supernatural deliverance. You're going to show yourself as God. You're going to be mighty to those that are hurting and wounded, God. You're going to, Father God, do things that are going to confound the mind and the heart of all who hear Father, because of your supernatural power. So, Lord, today we're harnessed together. But hear this, church family. We're harnessed together in faith. On our journey of faith, we're trusting the Lord. God's going to bring us through. Come on, somebody. God's going to bring us through. God's going to bring us through. I think you ought to say it. It's the word of faith. God's going to bring you through it. Come on, I think you ought to say it. Believe it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. God's going to bring me through it. God's going to bring you through it. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen and amen and amen. I want you to...